Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Conference coverage highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition. This year's meeting took place October 17th through the 20th, 2009 in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Kina. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. This year's American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition attracted more than 12,000 attendees from around the world. The key theme of the meeting was pediatric heroes and improving the lives of children, advocating for those who have no access to care, and encouraging up-to-date evidence-based care for all children. Highlights included new policy statements on media violence, music lyrics, and tobacco use. Dr. Victor Strasberger of the University of New Mexico School of Medicine in Albuquerque and lead author of the policy statement on media violence called media violence the single most negative aspect of entertainment media. And parents who bring young children to see movies rated PG-13 and R take a risk that their child will see violence as an acceptable way to solve problems. The AAP said in a press release that exposure to violence through television, movies, music, and video games can contribute to physical and mental health problems for children and adolescents. These problems may include aggressive behavior, nightmares, desensitization to violence, fear, and depression. The AAP also said that listening to explicit music lyrics can affect schoolwork, social interactions, and produce significant changes in mood and behavior. Dr. Rosario Gonzalez from the Puerto Rico School of Medicine in San Juan and lead author of the policy statement on the impact of music, music lyrics, and music videos on children and youth said that music plays such a vital role in the socialization and identity of children and adolescents and parents often don't know what lyrics their children are listening to because of increasing use of downloaded music and headphones. The AAP has recommended that children under two years of age should not consume any screen media, and older children should be limited to one or two hours of screen watching per day. The AAP also says that children who have TVs in the bedroom are at a 31% increased risk of obesity and double their risk of smoking. It was recommended that parents and pediatricians play an active role in monitoring and controlling the videos and music their children consume. Another policy statement titled Tobacco Use, a Pediatric Disease, and two accompanying technical reports, said that children deserve to live tobacco-free lives and urged smoke-free environments everywhere children live, study, and play. This includes homes and apartment buildings, cars, schools, restaurants, parks, beaches, sidewalks, and sporting events. Co-author of the tobacco policy, Dr. Dana Best of the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences in Washington, D.C., said in a statement, Tobacco use is deadly, and the effects of exposing children to secondhand smoke are severe. Children exposed to secondhand smoke are more likely to develop asthma, permanent harm to their lungs, and other significant health effects. Infants born to mothers who smoked or were exposed to secondhand smoke during the prenatal period have a higher risk of sudden infant death syndrome and many other harms. It's important that families make their homes and cars completely smoke and tobacco free. Significant research presented at the meeting looked at medication safety when medication for pediatric patients is ordered through a computerized weight-based dosing system. Researchers at the Children's Hospital in Denver performed a retrospective review of self-reported medication errors at an academic children's hospital over about a 13-month period. Dosing errors were reviewed for weight-based calculations. 
Researchers found 24 cases of weight-based dosing errors in 22 patients, accounting for 14% of self-reported errors. The most common errors were orders exceeding maximum recommended doses, ordering milligrams per kilograms per dose instead of milligrams per dose, and overriding of medication alerts. The most frequent errors occurred with high-risk narcotic medications such as morphine, some of which resulted in more than tenfold overdoses. After narcotics, the second most common errors occurred with antibiotics. Another study presented by researchers from the Winbur Research Institute in Pennsylvania reviewed the impact of Pennsylvania's statewide evidence-based children's health promotion initiative on the prevention of bullying in schools. The Children's Health Promotion Initiative is a five-year, $100 million initiative that combines the efforts of a regional charitable foundation, the State Department of Education, and a regional public health research institute. This initiative was implemented in several Pennsylvania school districts in 2007 and involved approximately 4,000 students in the first year. This is a five-year initiative that will ultimately reach approximately 200,000 students. Preliminary data on four elementary and three middle schools was analyzed after the first year. Researchers found reduced rates of bullying and victimization. Both elementary and middle schools saw reduced rates of children bullying other children by means of social exclusion, racial comments, sexual comments, and cyberbullying. Middle school students also reported a 28% decrease in their own bullying of others. There was a 14% decrease in the number of middle school students afraid of being bullied, and an almost 50% decrease in middle school students who reported having no friends or only one friend in his or her class. Also, both elementary and middle school students were also less likely after the first year to report that their teachers had not stepped in to stop bullying. A study from the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center looked at motor vehicle injuries and misuse of car seats. Researchers analyzed infant injuries related to car seats using data from the National Electronic Injury Surveillance System of the United States Consumer Product Safety Commission. Between the years 2003 and 2007, over 43,000 infants were treated in emergency departments for injuries related to car seats. 3,400 of those infants had to be hospitalized. 49% of injuries happened at home. The most common reasons for injuries were the infant falling from the car seat or the car seat falling from an elevated surface, such as a kitchen counter, and the car seat overturning when placed on a soft surface, such as a bed. 64% of the injuries were head injuries. There were three reported deaths. The study's authors conclude that improper use of car seats as infant carriers is dangerous and say that manufacturers and the American Academy of Pediatrics should caution parents about the importance of car seats and their use, as well as about the risks of when car seats are misused. The MedImmune Company has presented several abstracts related to the prevention and treatment of infectious diseases. In a statement, MedImmune's Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer said that, With influenza and RSV becoming more widespread this time of year, it remains important to better understand the impact of infectious diseases on pediatric health and the healthcare system, as well as what we can do to prevent illness. He added that the data presented at this conference will add to an extensive foundation of research and help advance solutions for preventing severe illnesses in children. One study was a retrospective cohort looking at the growing burden of respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. Researchers wanted to determine to what degree RSV lower respiratory infection in preterm infants is associated with serious early childhood wheezing, or SECW, in children between the ages of 2 and 3 years old. 
Researchers looked at the number of visits to the doctor for wheezing or asthma, hospitalization for wheezing or asthma, or number of days on systemic steroid or asthma controller therapy. 378 preterm infants with RSV lower respiratory infection were matched with 606 controls. The incidence of SECW in the RSV LRI group was about 16% compared with 8.6% in the control group. After adjusting for confounders, infants with early RSV LRI were more than twice as likely to have SECW compared with controls. Average annual health care costs of two- to three-year-old infants with SECW was more than twice the average annual health care costs for infants without SECW. The researchers say further studies are needed to confirm these findings. Another study looked at the total annual health care costs and resources used by late preterm infants with RSV lower respiratory tract infection. Late preterm infants were identified in the MarketScan Research Database, and treatment claims for RSV were categorized as inpatient or outpatient. These patients were compared to a similar cohort of controlled infants without RSV LRI. Total medical costs up to a year after RSV LRI were evaluated. Rates of wheezing and asthma within a year were significantly higher in the RSV cohorts compared with controls. Total costs were significantly higher for RSV cohorts. Inpatient costs averaged about $29,000, and outpatient costs averaged about $8,000. Costs for control cohorts came to about $5,400. Other highlights included a plenary address by Dr. Howard Cole. Dr. Coe is the Assistant Secretary for Health in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. His address was on the topic of public health opportunities in the 21st century and tackled issues ranging from H1N1 influenza vaccinations to pediatricians' role in preventing obesity and exposure to tobacco and secondhand smoke. Another highlight was a plenary address by Dr. Tina Chang of the Johns Hopkins Children's Center in Baltimore. Dr. Chang spoke on the genetics revolution and primary care pediatrics. Her speech addressed the future of genetic testing and the need for pediatricians, policymakers, and medical educators to begin planning for integrating genetics, genomics, and genetic testing into the everyday practices of primary care and routine pediatrics. Dr. Chang emphasized how exploring a person's genome will enable clinicians to characterize health and disease states by molecular fingerprints, elucidate mechanistic pathways, and develop new preventive diagnostic and therapeutic strategies. The conference included 11 sessions related to reducing childhood obesity as part of the Academy's ongoing stated campaign to prevent and treat childhood overweight and obesity. Dr. Robert Lustig, director of the Weight Assessment for Teen and Child Health Program at the University of California, San Francisco, discussed the biology of fructose, its effect on the body, and the link between fructose and obesity. Dr. Lustig called for revised dietary recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics Nutrition Committee that address high-fructose-laden sodas and juices. Findings were also presented from a study that analyzed 2006 data on over 3 million pediatric hospitalizations, including over 31,000 hospitalizations of obese children. Compared to normal weight children, investigators found obese children had an average hospital charge that was $1,300 higher and stayed in the hospital an average of half a day longer. The American Academy of Pediatrics presented awards to four pediatric heroes. Nominations were made by parents, patients, and colleagues who were asked to identify pediatricians providing exceptional care, who speak up for the underprivileged and underserved, and who are committed to children and lifelong learning. 
The AAP National Conference and Exhibition Planning Group and AAP staff selected the final winners from nearly 400 nominations. The Pediatric Hero Award winners were Dr. Bhagwan Das Bang, originally from India. He's now a practicing pediatrician in the small rural southern Alabama town of Op. It was noted that among other services he offers his patients, he gives them access to him 24 hours a day via his cell phone, thereby reducing unnecessary and costly emergency room visits. Another winner was Dr. Catherine Bartlett, who practices in Northampton, Massachusetts. Dr. Bartlett is praised for her achievements in the care of children's hearing. Specifically, she's been instrumental in establishing early hearing screening for newborns. Dr. Scott J. Cohen was also named a pediatric hero. Dr. Cohen is a pediatrician, former Albert Schweitzer Fellow in Africa, and founder of Global Pediatric Alliance. Global Pediatric Alliance is dedicated to improving the health of children and mothers in poor rural areas of Latin America. The fourth Pediatric Hero Award winner was Dr. Joseph Peter, who practices in Crestview, Florida. He was nominated by several patients, families, and community leaders. Among other community programs Dr. Peter has coordinated or participated in, he runs several free clinics each year for uninsured families. Families are able to get no-cost examinations, medication, x-rays, and referrals through his clinics. The Academy also presented the Arnold P. Gold Foundation Humanism and Medicine Award to pediatrician Dr. Jennifer L. Schenning of Kane County, Illinois, for her work with children in foster care. Thirty percent of Kane County's foster children are Dr. Schenning's patients. Thank you for listening to conference coverage highlights from American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition, October 17th through the 20th, 2009, in Washington, D.C., Conference Coverage Highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by Health Day.